0: This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered
1: by Wharton. And now from San Francisco, where global innovators and investors, governments and institutions, foundations and social entrepreneurs have gathered for SOCAP 2018,
2: the world's leading conference on impact investing and social enterprise. This is a Business Radio special presentation of Dollars and Change.
3: Hosts Catherine Klein and Cheryl Kuhlman.
2: Welcome back. I'm Catherine Klein,
4: and we have a switch up. We have a coaster. switch up. I'm Cheryl Kuhlman. I'm not. If you call me Nick sometime during the
2: show, that will be fine. We usually don't shift up the the hosts, but this is SoCap, and so everything's a little it's a little, a little, little different. different. A little different. I think I know you, are Cheryl. I think that's good. <laughs> yes. So we get the pleasure of being on air with uh, fabulous guests. Our next guest here, joining us in San Francisco at SoCap. Is Teresa Duncan director of philanthropic engagement at Burning Man? Now I'm thinking a lot of our guests know something about about Burning Man. I confess I've never been there. I'm thinking lots of creativity, lots of sand. You see the sand, yeah. (laughs) I don't dust um, and and great energy, but it sounds like really hot. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us about. So for I, I don't you know like I'm assuming that. Maybe some of our listeners are, are need, need more than that. Right, because our listeners aren't just so kept folks. They're you know just regular people right? So in that car someplace. Yeah, so Burning Man. What's Burning Man? And then let's go to the philanthropic engagement at Burning Man.
0: Sure. So Catherine and Cheryl, thanks for having, I'm you glad you can having join me join me you this morning. I think you're on the right track. A lot of that is true. A lot of creativity, <laughs> a lot of dust, and it is very hot. So you got that right. <laughs> I think what most people know about Burning Man is about the event we have in the desert each year. Right. 70,000 people come together for an eight-day
2: event to build
0: a city together. That's what most people know us about. We should just sort of pause there for a moment.
2: And it's 70,000 people come to the desert to create, I mean, where there is nothing, right? There is nothing. And then we create the city and then we take it apart.
0: Correct. We leave no trace. We're also the largest event in the world that leaves absolutely no trace once we leave. Wow. Okay. And when, when is this your uh, Burning Man? If people are thinking like, "Oh my God, I gotta go," <laughs> <laughs> well, they should start planning now. Um, the largest event we have is held in uh, in Nevada. It's in Black Rock Desert, and it happens at the end of August each year. Um, we have a lot of information on our website. Um, tickets do sell out really quickly. We are also known for that, um, so be sure to um, sign up and, and get I'm more information for this August explore. or a future one. Yeah. Okay. But I think in addition to that, uh, what has arisen out of this special event is really a global culture. And that's what I think your listeners mm-hmm. may be mm-hmm. really surprised to learn about, um, is that it's turned into a global culture. And there's now events and communities around the world that are all based on the Burning Man uh, 10 principles. So like little
4: local Burning
2: Men
0: <laughs> there's, yeah. that's a burning <laughs> baby <can> <laughs> <can't do> <laughs> strike that there's all size events uh-huh. so there's over 80 official events that happen around the world that are oh, wow. produced by the local communities um there's an event everything from a few hundred people um for an event in germany called burning bear um all the way up until t- you know, 10,000 people gathering um in the desert in israel um are gathering in South Africa.
2: I have to say so you know as I as I occasionally mention on air I actually live in uh, Washington DC right to teach at, at Penn in Philadelphia. Uh, the Smithsonian the Renwick Museum has a, uh, an exhibit that I think it's still going on. It's mm-hmm. fascinating and fun of the artwork of Burning Man. So oh. some extraordinary exhibits. And I, I have to say, you know, having never been to the sand, I've been to the lovely, beautiful <laughs> <laughs> mansion of the Renwick Museum. It gave me a little bit of a sense of uh, what kind of extraordinary creativity and fun. I mean, these mm-hmm. just uh, amazing artwork. So um, how does this, the philanthropic piece, I'm, I'm hearing community, I'm hearing this kind of creative, open mm-hmm. spirit. And environmental. Mm-hmm. And environmental. Right. But What's the, where, does, where is the philanthropic engagement that, that is part of your role? Oh,
0: there, it's it's really threaded through every Burning Man experience in a couple ways. Um, primarily, when we think about Burning Man, um, it's important to, to know that we have transitioned into a, a nonprofit. So we're a 5013C nonprofit. We have programs that uh, support our global community. And the philanthropy comes in in a couple different ways. One is that as a nonprofit, and in order to meet the growing demands of our community, we're raising dollars to support our nonprofit and to so that we can in turn support the art, the artists, the communities and the demand around the world. But even more foundational than that is our gifting culture. So one of the 10 principles at Burning Man is gifting. So when you come to that event in the desert right. or any of the official events around the world, you can't purchase anything except for ice and coffee. We make exceptions for those. <laughs> <laughs> but aside from that, everything is a gift. So people come with the intention of giving and that's how we support each other and support our community So they, they bring objects. They bring all kinds of things and advice and insight. And oh my gosh, there's all sorts of ranges. I'll uh-huh. give you just a few examples. Okay. One is there's this wonderful camp that their gift that they decide to give is French toast for over a thousand people, mm. where they bring all the ingredients and they bring all the volunteers Wow and they participate to gift French toast. And literally, I think it's a few thousand people. They're up to okay, now. You can just
2: sort of conjure up what that smells like. Oh, it's yeah! Sort of like, yep. it's amazing. <laughs> out, of, out of
0: the dust arises a French mm. toast station. Yeah. Um, but there's there's also everything from like you mentioned objects. So some people are giving gifts and objects uh-huh. um, just to express themselves and to give to others. Um, you mentioned even advice and guidance. There's this. Uh, there's pop-up gifts that happen. So for example, if, if your expertise is life coaching or giving people advice or guidance, you can set up a station and gift that to the whole community. Oh. And sometimes it could be very serious. Like let's really talk about the future of your life. Other times they could be set up just to give you the worst advice possible, <laughs> <laughs> but it's in jest and fun and it's Really, a, an important part of our making
2: culture. the sand and heat seem a little bit worth <laughs> it. You go, Cheryl. You tell me.
3: <laughs> you tell
2: me all about it with all of your best with your thousands of best friends. Yeah. Um, so, it, and is the so is so talk to us about your role specifically. What yeah. um, what does your job entail? What is success for you in this in mm-hmm. this role as as uh, as you know, a director of philanthropic engagement?
0: Well, um, success comes in, in many different ways. And what I love about Burning Man, the experience, not just the organization or the nonprofit, is that we que- we ask ourselves that question often. What is real success to us in our community? Um, in my role as director of philanthropic engagement, um, a direct result of, of doing really well in my work is being able to connect people who want to give to Burning Man projects with projects and programs that they're really passionate about. That is my... That is what uh, lights up my day. That's yeah. why I want to work till late hours is so that I can um, connect people who are passionate about what we do at Burning Man to those projects.
2: And, and just and, to
4: follow up on that a little mm-hmm. bit, so it sounds like um, with many philanthropic grants, there's mm-hmm. the, the funder wants something to happen, mm-hmm. and then the recipient has to do that mm-hmm. if they want the grant. Mm-hmm. Is this the kind of thing where there's there's a project going on and the funder instead says, I'll support that?
0: Yeah, so uh, talking about deliverables and impact, which is the theme of SOCAP, right? We're talking about that at almost every session. Um, Absolutely. And we are getting um, uh, better at telling our story because a lot of what Burning Man's impact is can't be talked about in just pure numbers. It's not the number of people we serve. It's really through the power of storytelling so we can really understand the impact Uh that is rippling That originates
2: in this So help us understand that story. How do you describe the impact of Burning Man? Mm -hmm. So
0: everyone, one of the beautiful things about Burning Man is everyone has their own experience. And we try not to dictate what that experience is. Um, I think one way to look at it is that in traditional um, conventional impact measurement um, and the way we approach a lot of nonprofit structures, we first identify a cause. Right. And then we rally a community around it Mm -hmm. to support that cause. We actually do the opposite. We develop a community that is so strong and is so engaged. We basically develop engaged citizens. That, in a sense, is our impact in the world. And with that engagement, we then have people going out in the world that want to do different things in their lives and with their their communities. Mm -hmm. And that translates into social activism. It translates into civic engagement, it turns into transforming people's lives to become artists, and to really be active in their communities, which is something that most organizations have the cause, but struggle with, how do you build the engagement? Right,
2: right. And and do you have an example of that, where you've seen that folks come together at Burning Man and mobilize them to take action? Oh my
0: gosh, there's so many. I wish we had more time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There's so many good stories. Um, One example is our Burners Without Borders program
2: burners without borders Uh okay
0: (laughs) so if we take um, the experience that our participants are having at burning man they realize that they're also learning leadership skills building skills Um, they're learning both hard and soft skills how to relate to people so that they go back in their communities um, and they want to make a change so they may decide that they want to build a shelter for children in their community Mm -hmm. they may decide like a group in Corpus Christi, Texas, that they want to start cleaning up their beaches as burners, but instead of just doing a cleanup, they build a whole community around it, and they celebrate by burning their own effigy on the desert or, or out in the beach uh, in in Texas.
2: So we're, we're talking with Teresa Duncan, director of philanthropic engagement at Burning Man. How did you get involved with this? How did it tell us your path? Did you go to Burning Man some years ago, or <laughs> how did this how did this happen? Sure. Uh,
0: so I. Uh,
2: My first year at Burning
0: Man was five years ago. Okay. And I was, at the time, I'd been working in nonprofits and fundraising for about, uh, at that time, it was over 13 years, Mm -hmm. Um, working mostly for environmental organizations. And when I went to Burning Man for the first time, I knew that day, even though I couldn't make sense of anything I was seeing, the size, the scale, the gifting, the culture was just too much for me to process. But I knew I wanted to do this every year, forever. Uh (laughs) I was immediately drawn to it. Uh-huh. I had no plans for working for Burning Man. That wasn't uh, in the trajectory. Uh, and uh, two years later, I, through a series of events, I learned that they were a nonprofit and they had just created this new role um, in helping develop their nonprofit programs. So when this opportunity came up, it was kind of a dream come true. Wow. I feel like my background in nonprofits, I have a degree in, in philosophy. Um, and an MBA. So, do I. so oh, good. Oh, we should talk <laughs> and an MBA. Philosophy. So, then I have to tell you that one of the things about Burning Man is, for many, in many ways, it's the greatest philosophical experiment. Interesting. Instead of talking about philosophy, we get to go out and create it anew every year in the desert. Uh, uh,
2: that, yeah. that, that, is, that is very that is very intriguing. So, um, Burning Man has been around for a long time mm-hmm. uh, now. Can you tell us when was the first year of Burning Man? I was there? over 30 years ago so on it. Baker Beach here in San Francisco. Right. No idea. Right. Yes, I remember <laughs> that. Now I remember that. Okay, so we're given, you know, and it's an relatively new nonprofit uh, you described. Where do you see Burning Man, where do you see this philanthropic engagement going to be in the next five or ten years? Give us a little preview of what you hope will happen in the future.
0: Well, I know in the next five to ten years, we are scaling our growth. Uh, we're, we're, we are working hard to keep up with the demands that are coming in from all corners of the world, um, and we want to support that community. So in the, in the short term, I see that. One of the things that I think relates to what we're talking a lot about at SOCAP is about how do we frame the impact we want to have in the world nice. and the, the cultural founders who we owe so much to at Burning Man had a vision a few years ago to really think about what is the 100 year plan for Burning Man mm. and that's ambitious that's, that's a bold plan Yeah. what I love about it it is, it is not up to us It is up to everyone who's part of the community. So everyone gets to participate in what the 100-year
2: plan looks like for Burning Man. So we don't know. And there's a
0: lot of beauty in not knowing what the future holds. Yeah, yeah, it's great. (laughs) We're
2: hearing, it's funny, there there are uh, uh, intriguing different themes coming through on the show today. And um, a lot about, you know, business acumen, smarts, investments that actually and a yield of financial return. There's another theme around listening, and I think I'm hearing that with you as well, so the importance of listening and, and then listening and conversation. So thank you so much for being with us, thank Teresa you Duncan. Thank and, and you. Great to have you with us, Director of Philanthropic Engagement. Our next guest is here with us, uh, William Towns, Executive Director at Benefit Chicago. Welcome to the program.
3: Oh, thank you very much.
2: Great to have you with us. So tell our listeners, um, you know, what is, what is Benefit Chicago?
3: So Benefit Chicago is, is really an experiment that looks to figure out how do we connect patient, flexible, risk-tolerant capital with organizations that are typically outside of the financial ecosystem. And so we try to, to merge those individuals who are looking to make those investments, and those individuals come in the form of corporations, foundations, and, and individuals with those businesses that could use that capital to really project their organization forward.
2: A great and important
4: mission. And is it uh, just businesses or nonprofits eligible as well?
3: Uh, So we do both. Uh Uh, This is really about uh, the intent of the organization and the business. And so nonprofit and for-profit status, uh, we look at it both the same. It really is about the impact that the organization is trying to have on society.
2: And how long have you been around doing this work?
3: So Benefit Chicago is uh, just two years uh, old. uh, And it's really an idea between the MacArthur Foundation the Chicago Community Trust, and Calvert Impact Capital, who all came together with their unique uh, separate skill sets uh, to create an organization that uh, the individuals couldn't do on their own.
2: That is, that is great. As, and so, a
4: great example of place-based events. Yeah, I mean, it really
2: right. is the sort of focus on an area. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. So um, you're only two years old. This is you know, young. Tell us a little bit about the, the journey that you've come. What do, you, what do you feel proud that you've accomplished in
3: these two years? So it, it is a, a short run. Uh, But we've been fortunate to have some incredible organizations that we've been able to provide capital to. Uh, Organizations like one called Sweet Beginnings. Uh, This is a honey-based product uh, company uh, in North Lawndale in Chicago uh, that uses honey as a means to create soaps, lotions, and other uh, sorts of products. And they hire individuals who have a difficult time finding employment. Mm -hmm. Um, This organization has been around for over 10 years, uh, could not get a loan from the bank that they had the relationship with over that 10-year period.
4: Oh, okay, yeah. uh,
3: And so we were able to come in and provide the capital that they needed to build up their internet infrastructure. Uh, sales are up 120%. Wow. Uh, they're hiring more people, individuals. And so this is, again, uh, one of the types of businesses that we're doing. So uh, did the
4: bank just think of them as too risky? Well, is, well, why weren't they getting a traditional loan? Well,
3: it's, it's interesting. When we talk with uh, Brenda pounds who's the uh, CEO and founder of the organization, um, what you find is you start to do some self-searching when you get denied year after year after year. Right. And so she starts to think, is it because I'm a woman? Mm-hmm. Is it because I'm in this neighborhood? Is it because, you know, uh, my board is not the, is structured in a way that it needs to be? And, and what, it, what it, it turns out to be is that you really just have to have a, a pure understanding and use some different uh, analytics uh, and different algorithms to really sort of understand these businesses, that the traditional sort of algorithms that traditional underwriters use – don't work well in a lot of our communities. And it's not that there's a lack of business acumen by the executive uh, or the team. It's just you have to apply a different methodology to understand.
2: And, and can you give us an example? That's such an, an interesting insight. So what is, what is it that the banks are traditionally missing when they evaluate a business like this
3: one? So, so if you're looking uh, traditionally in some of our neighborhoods, if you're looking at uh, a grocery store as an example, we have a number of food deserts across uh, the country. One of the analyses that they use is say there's not enough rooftops, right? There's not enough income per household uh, to sustain uh, a grocery store. Well, we realize there's thirty thousand people plus that live there, and they're eating every day, right? Right, and so it's not necessarily the fact that there isn't enough um, uh, rooftops or income there. It's how do you sort of think about how to encourage them to buy the products locally? How do you sort of build a sort of a destination within these communities, and really changing that methodology. Uh, we find it's been in- incredibly helpful.
2: So interesting. So, um, tell us who the investors are. I think I know who the you know you're, you've given us some picture of who the investees are, and as Cheryl's question you know, helped us unearth, it's both for-profit and nonprofit uh, ventures in Chicago. Who are the people who are who are putting forth capital? So, are people and in institutions?
3: So this this is the, I think the really sort of unique part about Benefit Chicago, right? Through our partnership with Calvert Impact Capital people are able to invest in the Benefit Chicago Fund with as little as $20. That's great. Right? So this is this is a notion that um, oftentimes people in our communities are waiting for things to happen to them. They're hoping something comes in, a big box store, these sorts of things. Benefit Chicago is really sort of flipping that upside down and saying sometimes the hand that we need is at the end of our own arm. Mm. And we can sort of take control of our destination of our, our communities, de- destined of our communities, and really sort of move it forward. So we have a broad range of of people who have been investors in Benefit Chicago. Individuals at the $1,000 level, $100 level. We've seen families set up investments for their kids through this. Mm -hmm. But then we also see a tremendous amount of support from our philanthropic uh, community, from corporate foundations, uh, high net worth individuals. And really, um, the individuals who have set up donor advice funds at the Chicago Community Trust have been big investors and supporters of what we're doing in Benefit Chicago.
2: So we're, this is, you know, the Wharton Social Impact Initiative we talk a lot about uh, and, and take seriously our location in Philadelphia. Our, and, and, you know, are thinking deeply about, uh, you know, our own engagement model in in Philadelphia. Very intriguing. You know, it's, it's very thought-provoking for us, and I'd love to hear your perspectives on this, to think about what is the role of a business school, in you know, in its local community, anchor institutions, universities do some work in that way, students volunteer. But it's like... What's the role of the business school? So I'm, I guess I have two questions for you. Thoughts about business school engagement in the local community, number one. And then, we'll come, and then I'll, I'll come back to a second question, I think, about like, what are lessons you're learning that may be transferable beyond Chicago?
3: Okay, excellent. So uh, one, I will have to disclose that my uh, Ph.D. research is in um, the corporate social responsibility of universities. And so I. You and I are going to
2: talk. <laughs> so, <laughs> we're starting now and we're going to keep going. That's great. So, yes, absolutely.
3: So, so I examined how universities can impact communities outside of the education, so to speak, but on the administrative side and really right. sort of impacting. That's great. And so I think from, from one, we know that our students are incredibly engaged in trying to find purpose, that no longer just finding profits and doing a nine to five is what they're looking for, looking yeah. to be engaged and active. And so I think schools, particularly business schools, have a responsibility to provide the education and training necessary for our next future leaders to lead and guide in a way that's more purposeful. Right. Um, that we, you're singing our songs. <laughs> yes, so, yeah, so, we, so we, we believe the corporation, or I should say I believe that corporation uh, has to be profitable, right? You've got to sort of drive business. You've got to be ethical, legal, and you've got to be philanthropic. And it's the sort of merger of all of those together that I think our business leaders need to start to think about if you're going to be recruiting top talent. Because this is what top talent is looking for. And we don't have the uh, days maybe when I came out or before me where someone was willing just to work 10, 15 years in one job. They will work three months, and if they don't like it, they're moving on. And so we have to sort of create an environment that really allows them to flourish and and feel passionate and personal Mm -hmm. about the work that they're engaging in. I think our business schools across the country uh, can play a big role in that. And then lessons learned? Yeah. Well, I I think, um, one, uh, no one has it solved, right? This is a a sort of a continued uh, sort of uh, journey. Uh, And we have to realize uh, as times continue to sort of change, what's once was acceptable may not be acceptable in the future. So there's this constant sort of loop, double loop of learning that needs Mm -hmm. to sort of go out, testing, retesting, testing, retesting. And, um, you know, I, I think as we continue to sort of move that way, it's how do we sort of express and measure the impact of the things that we're doing. There, there's still a large group there that may not believe in, in impact investing and that a business's sole purpose is the fis, uh, fiduciary responsibility to its shareholders. Uh, but we're seeing that sort of blend. And I think we've got to continue to sort of push that way, um, continue to try to understand the other side uh, and really sort of incorporate that into our, our lessons learned and, and move uh, our businesses forward.
4: And so your investments aren't um, thematic, right? It's not like you're trying to do just education investments or food investments. So you must have a sort of um, try to measure the impact from each individual and in different investment. Is that how you approach it?
3: It's incredibly difficult yeah, to, okay. to roll up the, uh, the impact measurement, but that, that is correct. We have sort of three themes that uh-huh. we sort of look at, but they're loose. Uh, it's uh, job creation, uh, wealth building... Uh, and then what we call sort of job readiness or effectiveness. Mm. And that last piece is is a little bit of a catch-all. We've been really looking at how do we fund um, student loan investments that allow students, whether they're DACA or, or out of Pell Grants, to continue on with their education in a way that doesn't burden them Ooh, uh, for the rest of their lives. So There's a number of funds and, and individuals who are working on that piece, and I'm really excited about that particular uh, sort of place in the job effectiveness uh, yeah. area, and
4: that would be only for students attending Chicago colleges, or Chicago students attending other colleges. Or? Yeah,
3: it's it's currently we're trying to see if we can focus this on the Chicago yeah. schools yeah. Uh, in general, and we're we're six counties, so we're a little broader than just uh, we're more the region as Not opposed just to just Chicago. Yeah. That's yeah. correct.
4: Well, and that's something that could be transferable to other areas as well. You know, if you figure this out, yeah. different cities could try to, and, and areas could adopt it as well.
3: Yeah, I, I think so. And I, I think, you know, another thing that can sort of be transferred is this notion of how do we sort of look at our communities, and how do we sort of define um, success? Uh, and really, sometimes we've got an investment in the optimal amount of jobs they're going to create is probably six, right? And so there's a lot of debate on, well, should we invest in this? It's yeah, only so six jobs, yeah. so, But my my response is, to those six individuals,
1: this is incredibly impactful.
3: Uh, And so we have to sort of really, I think, sort of figure out how do we um, partner with, how do we sort of bring capital stacks together in a way some businesses that we look at um, will need a loan but also really need a grant. And so I'm, again, fortunate to be partnered with the MacArthur Foundation and the Trust to really be able to talk to them about this really needs a grant for a consultant, this could help de-risk the investment, and how do we sort of stack that capital in a way that's uh, productive.
2: Interesting. And if I'm understanding the structure of Benefit Chicago, you have you, know, you have uh, investors in philanthropic support from the MacArthur Foundation, you said from Calvert. Uh, I, I'm wondering how you, uh, and I don't know how much of a Chicago presence they have, how much they are from Chicago, of Chicago, in Chicago, versus outside of Chicago, and how you are kind of navigate, listening to community, having a community voice, but having these major institutions that are providing important capital that I can imagine, you know, like, wow, both of these are really important and some tension there. Uh,
3: There is a cultural difference, Mm. even in organizations that have the same premise and idea. Uh, The approach sometimes is slightly different. And so it is an interesting, I think, position to be in to hear how MacArthur talks about their sort of impact investing sort of at this global lens that they can sort of really look out. Uh, And their experience locally in Chicago, as opposed to the Community Trust, which Which is is a local-based Chicago trust. And so I think what really happens is I'm benefiting from the knowledge of both uh, of those differences in in the work that we're doing. And really, in many cases, act as a translator to the community to understand, well, why are are you doing it this way? Um, Why not uh, be more locally focused and more direct investments? And so really being able to translate um, uh, those sort of theories and practices from a, a large global institution like MacArthur, from uh, an organization like Calvert, who's in Bethesda, a name I've never heard right, of, right. Uh, versus the Trust. And I think it's it's really bringing the best of all three organizations into the work that we're doing that uh, really gets me excited.
2: And, and tell us more about, uh, you, you started with that great example of the Honey, com- honey. Company. Yes. The uh, Honey Company. What are other examples of things that you you know that where you've given loans, you've given investments, made investments, you know, or you're contemplating so we can sort of again get this feel of like, well, what does this actually look like on the ground? Uh,
3: another interesting one is there's an organization called Autonomy Works. It's uh based Autonomy in Works. Autonomy Works. Okay. It's based in a, a suburb just out, outside of Chicago. Uh, and this is a gentleman who uh, was a C-suite executive for a number of years. Uh, had a son who had autism. And as he watched his son through high school and then through college, he began to realize that there really wasn't much of a future uh, for his son outside of finishing college. And as he began to do some research, he began to realize that most individuals with autism are either uh, cared for by the state mm-hmm. or cared for by family. Uh, so he went out and created a company uh, that really highlighted and used the assets of individuals with autism, that if it's in- incredibly detailed, incredibly repetitive, they can excel. And so he created Tomy Works, which is a marketing analytics company. Uh, they now have um, uh, many of the companies uh, uh, your audience would know, Morningstar, Reddit, Razorfish, these companies, and they provide all of the marketing analytics and data uh, for these organizations. He has since, um, has over 40 employees... Wow. Ninety percent of them have autism. And when you talk with the individual employees, uh, that's where the real sort of story comes out. When they're Mm -hmm. saying, I was dependent on my parents and and my mom for a number of years, and now I'm taking care of them. Mm -hmm. I'm now driving to work. I'm now, you know, feeling I have a sense of responsibility and commitment. And that's really powerful. And it's making money, right? I mean, so you've got this sort of dual role. Um, Many of his staff now have been outsourced and don't even come in the office anymore. They're embedded in the organizations that they're working for. And so these ideas um, are really sort of powerful ones. And it takes uh, sometimes a a slightly different look Mm -hmm. uh, at this, that we're not just looking at the numbers, that sometimes you're really uh, underwriting the hearts and minds of the leadership and the board. Uh, And this is the kind of thing that we're trying to do. If it's a straightforward investment, that you can get from a bank, we would like you to go to a bank and do that.
2: Interesting. Uh, so, and and how do you think um, how do you think about the core aspects of the model? I mean, are is this you know making investments, sourcing you know sourcing the, uh, the deals? Is it are you you're also providing coaching? Is, is, it, is it you know I, I'm hearing elements that are around even storytelling and communicating uh, you know the potential here. If you think about you know, your key tasks or the key tasks of Benefit Chicago, your key strategies, what are those?
3: I, I think in a way, it really uh, uh, follows what a venture capitalist is trying to do. And so we really want to be seen as a social venture capitalist, mm-hmm. that we're looking for an opportunities on things that perhaps aren't quite clear to the general public, but we see something in there. There's something in the leadership. There's something in the product and idea that we can sort of take Uh, And sort of buttress against uh, and really sort of build up over time. And and that's really what we're looking for. It is a little bit of visionary, it's a little bit of um, underwriter and due diligence, it's a little bit of a coach, Uh, but it takes all of those varying components, I think, to really sort of be successful uh, in what we're doing. And you don't always get it right. And so I think we have to sort of. That's right, right. And (laughs) so we have to learn sometimes these investments will lose money, but that's okay. And we shouldn't um, uh, write off a community or or a group because we've made an investment that went bad. And I think that's a lesson, again, that that should be learned from the venture capitalist side, uh, that we will lose money, we will mess up, but it's okay. Let's continue to move forward.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being with us. We've this been talking. Great, yeah, we've been talking with William Towns, Executive Director at Benefit Chicago. I'm Catherine Klein, and I'm Cheryl Coleman, and we are uh, excited to be talking in this segment of our show with Paige Chapel, President and CEO of ERIS. Thanks so much for being with us, Paige. My pleasure. Great to have you with us. Tell our listeners what is ERIS? Eris is a rating and information service. We've
5: been around for about 15 years. We Uh, rate community investment funds, also known as CDFIs, community development loan funds. Mm -hmm. We rate risk, but we also rate their ability to deliver the impact that they are promising.
2: Who are the consumers of those ratings? Who needs these ratings and why?
5: The rating itself helps anybody who's trying to get into community investing and trying to understand the very complex business models that these loan funds have, that they operate under. Most of uh, for the for the the due diligence reports that we do that back the rating the rating is based on, those are consumed by investment professionals from major institutional investors, all the big banks in the United States, the largest foundations, um, fam- wealth managers, family offices, pension funds, insurance companies.
2: And and how many
5: CDFIs uh, then are you rating? We've rated about one hundred and twenty-five, hundred and thirty loan funds. There's about five hundred in the United States. Most of them are very, very small. Mm-hmm. We've rated uh, the largest and some very small ones too. It's a very
2: rigorous process. So, and and for our listeners, tell our listeners a little bit more about what are these loan funds? What's a, you know is you you've used the word loan fund and we've used the acronym CDFI. Are they one and the same? What are they? CDFI is actually a government
5: invention. It's a government term. The U.S. Treasury certifies loan funds that are primarily focused on investing in low-income or under
2: underserved communities in the United States. So, so. so my understanding of the background of this, and I don't know what year this was, but essentially the government said, wow, our, our, our traditional banks are not doing enough investing in low-income communities, are not making loans to these communities what can we, as the government, do to incentivize or mm-hmm. and or require banks to do more in this? Do I, do, is that is that correct?
5: Yeah, it started early in the Clinton administration. In fact, he ran on the promise mm-hmm. of creating development banks all over the United States. His oh. model was ShoreBank, which was the first oh, right. development bank right. in the U.S. It was uh, came into existence in the early 70s, and they wanted to replicate that model of taking. Deposits from wherever and investing it into specific communities to stimulate opportunity. Yeah. And when the program was created in the early 90s, the CDFI program, it focused on not just banks but also credit unions, loan funds, which borrow money and then lend that money back out into a variety of community investments, as well as venture funds that focus on community-based
2: enterprises. Got it and And so, when you are involved in you know rating these these uh, these loan funds, these funds, what distinguishes the very best of them i don 't know if you want to name the ones you know some that are in your top five or ten, but like these ones are great. What makes them great? The
5: ones that are great are the ones that have figured out how to do. Investing, lending in communities that really need the investment. These are riskier loans, Mm -hmm. but they are experts in managing that risk and protecting their investors from that risk. At the same time, they're able to achieve meaningful transformational impact in those communities. I think those are the
4: best. And then for your rating, how do you uh, draw out that information? You can clearly draw what the financial is, but how do you draw the impact (laughs) that they're making? You should ask a loan fund that we've
5: subjected. (laughs) <laughs> um, we require them to upload to our platform a lot of, of narrative as well as quantitative mm-hmm. information. Um, our analysts pour over everything we ask the CDFI to give us, and then goes on site when we initially rate them for a couple of days and interviews management as well as uh, directors of the board on the board. Um, we'll come back, have additional questions that, that we may have question that we may want to look at. We're also doing an, an, a quantitative analysis of their financial and impact performance, um, And then we will draft a report, ask the CDFI to look at it and send us factual corrections. It's finalized, and it goes to a ratings committee. but we are looking under every
2: grain of sand pretty much. And, and have you figured out what, you know, it, it, you've talked about the impact, the, the ones that, are, that are, have the highest impact, the highest, you know, they are giving loans to communities. They're the
5: best at, at, at managing the risk, protecting investors from the risk, and
2: having deep impact. And, and any insights into how they do it? Is right. this, you know, it, it could be, hey, you know what, they just have better founders, better managers. It could be they have deeper ties to the community. It could be they have deeper business expertise. What kinds yes. of things are you seeing? Yes. Yes, <laughs> all of that. And what, and, and what have I missed? <laughs> uh, what else do you think? A,
5: they also have an engaged board of directors mm. that's mm. really looking at, okay, are we achieving what we're trying to around impact? And are we really managing the risk? Do we really have the systems and, and practices in place? And do we have a strategy going forward for how we're going to grow and be sustainable as a business ourselves, as a loan fund? Um, so it's it, it's it's all of that. It's yeah. like looking at any kind of financial institution, but adding that impact component on top.
4: And so you said you have a, a one about one hundred and fifty ratings
5: right F- now. There are, rate- are
4: right now there's about eighty five currently rated okay. institutions. Um, and so that's that's a, just a percentage mm-hmm. of the total number. Would you is the goal to try to get more more of these funds involved in the rating system? Is that a good end for you?
5: Yes. What what CDFIs tell us is that they're getting ready to get because word's out on the street that it's a very arduous process mm-hmm. and they obviously they don't want to get a bad rating. Right. Mm-hmm. That's the risk you run, right? Yeah. And so there's a certain level of operations and sophistication that have to be in place. So smaller CDFIs that may have a staff of two or three, you tell them, wait. Wait <laughs> until you get more This will be so disruptive. You don't want to get rated yet. And yeah. so there are there's a large number I don't know how many, but when we go to conferences, CDFIs will approach us and say, oh, we're getting
2: ready to get rated. Uh-huh. And and, and, the, and the C in CDFI, again, is community. So most of these are, they're, so they're community focused. How do you define or how do they define community? Is this a, you know, is this a, uh, you know, a... Small part of a major city? Is it, the, is it a city? Is it a neighborhood? Is it the yeah. city? A region? Is it the state? Exactly. This or the region? Yeah. It's.
5: It's. Uh, some of them are very place focused, and they define the boundaries of the place. Increasingly, what you're seeing because poverty is being dispersed in the United States, you see CDFIs that focus on specific populations, and so their their community is that population. Oh, interesting. So, mm-hmm. so give us an example of that. Um, it might be refugee or immigrant groups might be i mean it's usually diverse it's usually isn't one one population or one community it's mm-hmm. multiples um there's some cd5s that are financing businesses that are started and owned by vets for example mm-hmm. um others are again refugee communities that may be dispersed throughout a, an urban area right
4: so that's interesting i mean this is an insight that you you have as a result of the work that you do right? What else, mm-hmm. What other insights do you get from being the rating agency, working with all these CDFIs? What's going on with poverty or wealth distribution or income inequality? What do you learn?
5: Uh, well, it's interesting. Since the crash in 08, demand for CDFI capital has grown because the banks, I think, have... Not think. The the banks have pulled back, especially around small business lending. Mm. There's been a big focus on small business lending, which is also, you've seen fintech companies come Uh in and play Uh a role, and the more aggressive, assertive CDFI loan funds that do small business lending are partnering with fintech partners. So um, in terms of... uh, It's a hard question to answer, (laughs) Cheryl, in terms of what we're seeing (laughs) about poverty. (laughs) Right. uh, It's... uh, we're looking at eighty-five, CD Some of them are national, some are regional, some are very
2: localized, uh-huh. and the situation is unique to what each of them are trying to do. Yeah. So I have a, a, a different, uh, related question though um, on ratings. You know, as you know, there's a tremendous amount of conversation at SoCap, SoCap, and in you know the broader industry mm-hmm. around how do we number one, how do we evaluate impact, and then there's a You know, a lot of conversation and work going on around ESG ratings, environmental social governance ratings, you know, simultaneously awareness of how important these ratings are and concerns about, you know, hey, different ratings agencies, uh, ratings don't actually correlate. What's up with that? So a lot of conversation about this. I wonder what you've learned in this, you know, this deep hands-on experience in rating these CDFIs. What can you say about... You know, like, here's what we know works, or here's what we've right. learned over time the hard way.
5: So what we've learned in 15 years, we didn't know it when we started out, but it turns out that what we rate on the impact side is somewhat unique. Oh, good. You, you cannot rate impact. How do you decide if investing in a company that produces solar panels is more meaningful than a company that invests in Charter schools. I'm so char- glad right? you, yeah, you can't, that, This you is, can't. is such
2: a puzzle. So what's your, what, so yeah. So where so, are we going from here? Because so, that is such so true.
5: So what we look at is the capacity of the fund manager to deliver the impact that they say they're delivering. Right. They start out with here's our mission. Here's our impact thesis. How does an investor know that that organization, that management team, and board have the ability to deliver? So what we rate on the impact side is not impact, but we start with. Um, alignment. How is the portfolio aligned with what that thesis, that impact thesis is? And how has that changed over time? Then we look at, and I'm going to, we, we recently took, people have come to us because we've been doing this for so long. They've asked us to expand what we do beyond CDFIs into the broader impact investing space. So I'm going to describe how we've morphed our methodology to meet, Great. to, uh, to look at across asset classes. Yep. So we look at alignment we look, at, we look at management and governance. Who's involved in looking at the impact? Mm-hmm. Is it an intern in a closet? Is senior management involved? Is the board looking at anything? How are they looking at it? Um, the next thing we look at is how effectively they're deploying the capital. So for a loan fund, a D five loan fund, what percentage of that capital is sitting in a loan portfolio versus sitting in cash and not really adding mm-hmm. to impact? For a mutual fund, Uh, where they're 100% deployed typically. We're looking instead at um, what is the the composition of the portfolio and how often does it turn? Because if you're trying to achieve impact, you can't turn your assets every three months. Mm -hmm. And then we finally look at the actual impact data that's collected and why those metrics, how are they collecting it, how believable is the data, and most importantly, how are they using it? Is it just for marketing or is it in order to understand the impact that they're getting relative, again, to that mission or impact thesis.
2: Yeah. So that's what we yeah. look that's at. That's f- a fascinating answer and, uh, and, and, and just very thought-provoking and it, and it, I have to say, it makes a lot of sense.
4: Well, then I mean, it's sort of, yeah, instead of going directly after the impact, which can be hard, you're looking at the things that can make that impact
5: happen. We're
2: holding them accountable yeah. as opposed to any
5: third party saying, well, I'm an expert in yep. how to evaluate clean water or charter school education and the outcomes of that or health clinics or healthy foods from a grocery store. The, Nobody's an expert in all the areas of potential impact. Instead, it's you guys, you, the fund manager, or the expert. Make prove it, it. Right, right. How are you
2: achieving that impact? So, Paige, it's been great having you with us. Maybe a final question for uh, uh, Paige Chappell, president and CEO of Era, which is, what are you hoping to accomplish at, at SOCAP? You've got uh, two more days here? Ah, We're trying to help get people to better understand the way
5: we can help build out the infrastructure and impact investing beyond CDFIs. CDFIs are are a critical, mature corner of the impact investing space. They can show how to think about impact measurement and management in a mature way. And we can take that and expand it to the broader field, which is still grappling with how to do that very much. That's great.
2: Well, uh, very helpful to have you with us. Thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, great to have you with us, President and CEO of Eris. So we have a few minutes left here on Dollars and Change, and uh, we want to take this opportunity to chat with both of my co-hosts, Nick and I know, this is unusual. Oh, my gosh, it's it's so nice to be
1: here. Thank you so much for having me on the show. (laughs) 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 You're back, (laughs) Nick Ashley. I had a coffee break.
2: <laughs> Nick Asher and Cheryl Coleman. So, uh, Nick, maybe we'll just throw this question to you. What are, at what is Wharton Social Impact hoping to do at at uh, at SoCap this year?
1: Well, I I would say we have two or three main goals. The first one we were we actually accomplished last night. We launched the Total Impact Portfolio Challenge, which is super exciting. You know, we had a great turnout yeah. for folks of you know Wharton alumni, but also industry professionals and.
4: And attendees from SOCAP. Exactly.
1: And you know what was super exciting for me? So we talk about on the show and then in our work, we're about building the evidence base and building the talent pipeline. And last night, I thought we were there to celebrate the talent pipeline, Right. right? The Total Impact Portfolio Challenge is intended to train students and give them exposure around how to maximize impact across asset classes. But our friends at Bank of America and Tonic, the industry group, latched on to the evidence base. I thought that, that too. was super cool. I know. Right, right. To because the, right. they're not mutually exclusive, and we talk about that in our work. Right. Exactly. And I
4: think that we often talk that the, the industry, the field has sort of reached a stage where they've they've gone past the anecdotes and are really wanting to say, how do we ground this in more evidence? We're, we believe there's something there, there's enough activity that we can start thinking this way.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
4: And we just have to help them.
1: So so that was one. And yep. then I think two you know, I could go on and on, but I think the the other thing is we like to get out of our ivory tower. Yeah. Right. And SOCAP is one of those opportunities, you know, this is where there are major foundations, major investors, small investors, families, entrepreneurs, you know, private sector, public sector. I mean, it's really a collision of business and practice and, you know, The things that we want to keep the pulse on, right? right? right. And so that's always a great opportunity for us here at SoCAP. Yeah,
4: and I think it's important to sort of emphasize, uh, I was talking to one of the heads of SoCAP, it's 3,100 people, 3,100 people who register and attend, right? So when you're talking about the the collision of different folks... There are a lot of, lot of activities A lot of folks. Right. It's a lot of folks. It's fun. It's not as much as Burning Man. It's not <laughs> as much. As
2: <laughs> <laughs> but, right, it's uh you know, it's, it's been fun. It's been fun to, to be here and interesting because I will say on those you know, those three thousand one hundred people, there have been the oh that's so and so. I've read about so and so. Oh that's so and so. And uh but then I've also had these moments of like, oh I had old friends, had no idea you'd be here, you know, and who are not Oh wow you know, who I might not have identified in this community, so it's that's that's fun and exciting as uh-huh. well. Uh, Cheryl, let me turn to ask you a question here. You've been at SOCAP a number of years. Yes, I have. Uh, what are you seeing in the evolution of SOCAP that tells us something either about SOCAP or about this space, this industry? Yeah. Um, I think that one
4: of the things, and it's hard to tell how much of is, is just perception of having been at different ones, when I first was at the first SoCaps, it struck me that it was very heavy with, with a lot of social entrepreneurs mm. um, and, and nonprofits of that. What I'm seeing now, just based on some of the panelists and some of the discussion, there's a lot more discussion about collaboration, public-private partnerships, innovative ways to bring folks together. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's partially due to the funding and thinking about how we get more capital to it. But I think it's also recognizing that in order to um, scale and make all of this bigger, we've got to think about how we work together mm-hmm. in different mm-hmm. ways. And so I think that that's part of part of what I'm seeing. It, it went from being mostly individuals looking for funding to really thinking about collaboration right. and, and
1: working. Yeah. And and to pick up on that thread just a little bit, um, you know, when we had John Levy from Franklin Templeton on in the first hour, you know, one of the things he said that I think is really right, especially for SoCap, is as you get Bigger, you know, investors, maybe bigger yep. brands, including Wharton, involved yep. in this conversation. It, it's exciting for the industry, but there's a—it's met with a lot of skepticism, sure, as well.
4: Oh, having the big players in, uh-huh. yeah, right. And so
1: that collision here at SoCap is interesting. How those conversations evolve, whether it's from a panel or these side conversations, and I, and I think it's real, well, and we see that here. And
4: it, is it skepticism or is it a little bit of? Um a, ch- a clash of cultures, right? You know, because we've, we've joked about... I think it's
1: both. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah. yeah. right.
4: we've joked about how very different it is to have Wharton, not just a business school, but a kind of rigorous, skeptical business school. Right. Doing impact investing, right? right? And, and when you've got the social entrepreneurs and people who have been like, I've been on the ground for a long time. I know what works. I can do this. Right. And we're coming in and being, mm,
2: let's, let's look at what we can get from the data.
4: Yeah, yeah, a, one, yeah. One We, we were
2: hearing some of these things <laughs> from our guests. I was going right. to say, yeah. right? You know, so we were hearing this from, uh, you know, from the from Tom Mitchell earlier at Cambridge Associates, as you said, from John Levy at Franklin Templeton. These are people who are part of a larger institutions that are not entirely impact focused, but these folks are pushing an impact agenda. You know what? I guess we're that's us too, right? That's, right. Yeah. We're in social
1: impact. Well, and I, I find it interesting. I've noticed this in conversations that we have off the radio, but even today. Some of these big players, as they get into it, they also mention we have a long history of doing this uh-huh. in various different ways, right? Like our founder, yeah. d- you know, was exclusionary and didn't want the sin stocks, and right. they they want to have that long history. It's not really saying like, hey, we're we're getting into this now yeah. and that's okay, yeah. but rather we've been doing this for a long time. And, we just and, didn't know what it was. Right. Uh-huh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. No.
2: It's, well, it's interesting, and we've often remarked that there, you know, there are many paths that people take to. having an interest in impact and it may be you know i'm an investor and my clients are asking for it and maybe i'm an investor and it does seem like there's a risk associated here right and you know let me avoid the companies that are going to investments that are that are most likely to run afoul of corruption climate change racism sexism and all the rest or you know like i really want to make a difference in the world uh, I've been struck also in, in the theme that you guys are, you know, talking about SoCap. I've been struck by the amount of attention to public equities. Mm. You know, I think we think about social entrepreneurship, we think about private equities, but there's a lot of conversation here about public equities, and I think that's a, you know, and and, and uh, very much part of this same theme. Is it? You know, is this real? Is this serious impact? You know, and, and uh, I, I, I suspect we'll... I'll be curious to see where that goes in the next few years. Yeah,
1: I think we'll see it as a growing piece of the conversation. And I, I don't think we figured it out. But I think one thing that we did hear from a guest was all investments, all companies have an impact. Yeah, sure. right. And I think it goes to, is it positive, is it negative, and are we trying to minimize the negative? Right? Well,
4: and again, what, and we've talked about this often, is, is that for a lot of these corporations and public companies, they are... Using social impact as a driver for innovation. They are creating labs, for instance, around social impact. They are creating investment funds that they're using to invest in food companies so that they can bring that innovation in rather than having to create it. So, I mean, I think those are really interesting different ways that corporations are trying to say, maybe we can play in this in a different way. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So we're coming to the end of this. Uh, so any you know, last thoughts, Nick, about things that have struck you, things you want to highlight here for our listeners and for us as we think about this time at SOCAP?
1: So one kind of curveball, we're, we're looking for our listeners, we are currently looking at sort of a, a participatory art installation here at SOCAP, and it's around climate change. And they're asking you to reflect on if, you know, climate change continues and we're not mitigating it and the world is different. Yeah. What are you going to miss Wow, polar bears, the, and and it was I'm like I don't know, you know, like there's so much I would miss, and it was right. it was like whoa that it hit me, yeah. And so I just wanted to share that with our listeners. It hit me to be like, someone wrote like the island of Manhattan, right? <laughs> you know, <Yeah>. Miami, <laughs> yeah. and or the polar bears, right? Right,
2: or enjoyable summers. Exactly, summer, oh. summers out, summers where you want to spend it, it is very, it is, it is very frightening. Uh, one, one quick thing I would highlight you know as, as while we 're having conversations about big capital and about public equities we 're also seeing conversations a lot of conversations about um, particular communities and groups, whether it was the conversation about HBCUs and, and building up venture capital talent mm-hmm. and experience among you know, historically black colleges and universities or it 's a focus on particular uh, locations like Chicago. so you know, i 'm excited to see that I think that 's really important. Cheryl, final word. Any final thoughts that, that, that's exciting you here at SOCAP? Yeah,
4: no, no. I, I think that what's exciting is actually just kind of seeing the energy and, and the evolution. Right. Um, and I think we're part of the evolution to, to kind of maybe more mainstream, less traditional mm-hmm. kind of social impact.
2: And, and we're glad to bring that along. That is great. All right. Well, we are excited to be here. It has been so much fun broadcasting here from SOCAP in San Francisco. This has been Dollars and Change on Sirius XM Business Radio and Sirius XM 132. Big thanks to my co-hosts, Nick Ashburn and uh, Cheryl Coleman, and to our seven amazing guests. Uh, And thanks so much for listening to Dollars and Change. For more insight from Business Radio,
0: please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.